welcome to Fumpale Podcast, where we are unpacking opinions and changing destinations. I am your host, Shirley Altador, where each week we will chat about how to rise strong out of all types of obstacles that come with relationships. Through personal life experiences and discussions ranging from infidelity, trust, forgiveness, sex, heartbreak, self-love, and so much more. I am passionate and obsessed to provide guidance to every woman to create a better life. Let's dive in, pull up a seat, make sure you're cozy, and get ready to be challenged and encouraged while you learn. With me, your virtual girlfriend. Welcome back to another episode of Fampale Podcast. And today for story time, we do have a special guest with us. We have Mbila. Mbila is known by her clients as the girl next door of spirituality. She is a serial entrepreneur, certified coach, spiritual teacher, international speaker, and an avid follower of her passions. She went from a six-figure corporate job to having a spiritual business. She has worked with clients for over two decades, and she knows that the greatest journey you can take is the one to build a relationship with yourself. Ambila, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm very well, and thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. Always excited to have our guests on and to share their story with our listeners. So I'm going to pass you the mic to add on to that bio. Tell our listeners a little more about yourself, who you are, what you do, and all that good stuff. I'm a spiritual business coach, so I help you to feel and get unstuck in your business. And I'm also a tarot reader and energy healer, so hence the spirituality elements of it. And I use those within my coaching program in terms of helping people to not just shift on the logical sense and the practical sense and the strategic sense, which is what coaching is all about, but also on the spiritual and emotional sense where people have got blocks going on and I'm kind of able to help them to shift that if it's going to stop them from actually progressing in their lives so yeah so they kind of get a 360 of um therapy or healing or whatever you want to call it with me when you know they're working with me and um yeah I, I love the work I do and I'm so fortunate in the sense that the journey that I've had getting to this point where I'm totally able to be myself and be accepted for being a spiritual coach um, is amazing. So before we start with your story, you went from six figures. What line of work were you in? I was a management consultant. So I was traveling the world. I was, you know, living that wonderful life that everybody perceives that you're traveling, but actually all you're doing is seeing hotels, airports, taxis, and then the reverse when you're coming back home. But everybody thought I had a glamorous life. The money was good because I never got to spend it. So that really helped <laughs> because I was too busy working. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that, that was my past. So I had 10 years in corporate corporate before I decided to um, do my own business. So I'm assuming that last year before you transitioned, were you just at a place where you are unhappy and you just couldn't take it anymore? Is that why you went from managing consultant to like, I need to do my own business. This is just not working. (laughs) Yes and no. Um, I always knew from the age of 19, I wanted to do something on my own one day. I just never Mm -hmm. knew what that one day was. 
and I'm a British Asian. So I was um, brought up, you know, to follow the kind of employee working path because I don't come from a family background or business or entrepreneurs. So that was a high risk, you know, thing to do. And yes, 100% that I did get to a point within my um, life where I just thought, I can't do this anymore. I, I loved it for that period of time. But then it just got to be that you were a number. Because the way you were treated, you were just an asset, an asset for the company to earn money from you. So therefore, you had to go wherever the company you know, expected you to go. And that kind of sometimes meant that you didn't really have a life unless, of course, you took holidays. But, you know, weekends, literally, you weren't able to meet friends, family, because you would be coming on late on the Friday night, washing, packing leaving on the Sunday or Monday morning. So you never really, and my friends and family started not knowing when I was in the country. So they stopped Mm. kind of including me in stuff so that even if I was there and available, I'd be hearing of, oh yeah, we're having a party, we're doing this. And I'm like, why didn't you invite me? And they're like, well, we didn't know you were here. (laughs) So a lot of realizations and I think just a change in priority of life gotcha. that that kind of just made me think no I can't do this anymore it's it's not giving me the joy it once did that's good that you actually listened to yourself and you actually took time to realize that you know what this is not working I need to shift and something needs to change and you actually took heed to that because most human beings what they will do is they will complain for days on end, weeks on end, months on end, how they do not like their job and this is not where they want to be, but yet don't necessarily do what needs to be done for them to step out of what they're in into something else, rather it's another company or business for themselves. Because it's scary. Because people like certainty and they like the comfort. I mean, Mm -hmm. I could have stayed where I was. And, Mm -hmm. you know, because you get to know the way things work, you get to know what you can get away with in the sense of the long breaks and if you need to take emergency leave you can you know do that or you know half a day here or there you kind of know how you can somehow manipulate it to sometimes serve you and of course as I said the money was amazing because you know every month I'm getting this wonderful paycheck you know guaranteed so the fear of losing that yeah that that was a big risk you know because I when I started in business, it wasn't a known business. I wasn't an entrepreneur or a business person. So mm-hmm. um, I made sure I had that pot of money for, because they say about six to 12 months. And I made sure I had that nest egg before kind of taking that risk. So some of it was st- strategic. I didn't just up and leave one day. I did plan ahead. Not that it served me well, but I did plan ahead. <laughs> good. That's good because, I mean, that's a smart thing you do. You don't necessarily want to jump ship so quickly and not like, you know, act like you don't have bills. We all have yeah. bills and they need to be paid on a monthly basis. Exactly. So <laughs> you yeah. need to plan accordingly. Exactly. And if you're going from, you know, one job to another job, then find a j- another job before, you know, kind of quitting. Unless, of course, circumstances are just, you know, different and difficult. But, exactly. Yeah, have a plan. 
have a plan. All right, my dear. So we're going to start off with your story and we're going to let you take the floor and tell us about your story and how well, far back you're going to go. Well, let's go to the beginning. Um, I was born <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm here. So no, I, I was born um, in India. So when my family emigrated to the UK, um, I was six years old at the time. So I kind of say all of my upbringing has been in the UK. I'm a, a British Asian um, heritage. And because my parents were immigrants, well, we were all immigrants, but because they were kind of the first generation and the generation that was around them, all of their friends and that they knew, everybody held on to the culture, the values, you know, what they perceived to be the upbringing because being in a foreign country, they didn't want to lose their identity. So the upbringing was strict in expectancy, but not strict in terms of how they controlled us. Mm -hmm. You know, you were meant to um, fulfill certain roles. You were meant to fulfill certain expectations because, and going off to university, working in the corporate world, you know, was one of the things. Um, because that's what was known. So growing up, it was joyful. But at the same time, when I graduated, that's basically when um, things started to shift and change. Because being a woman, mm -hmm. an Asian woman, <laughs> mm -hmm. men were allowed to do whatever they wanted. But culturally, women were meant to be housewives, were meant to be wives, were meant to, you know, bear the next generation for somebody mm -hmm. else and were meant to, in my father's eye, only follow their dream in their future husband's house, you know, if he allowed it. Because as far as his role was concerned, he just needed to educate us and then marry us off. And then he's fulfilled his Asian, you know, burden or um, obligation is a better word. And so when I graduated, the fact that I was ambitious, the fact that I was doing so well in my career was a hindrance to them because they felt that that was the stopping point of me not settling down and getting married. But actually, that wasn't because I was very clear on the kind of person I wanted to be with and the generation of Asians I grew up with, that man was never going to be within that pocket of people because mm -hmm. my parents, the circle of people they hung around with was not the people I was attracted to. So I kind of already knew at a young age that I was going to always marry um, somebody out, outside of the Asian um, caste and that, I think, in itself, although I never verbally said it to my parents at that time, caused a lot of conflict because there was a lot of resistance to the kind of men they were introducing me to. And again, it was never a forced, you know, thing, but because they thought, well, she can't, she's incapable of finding men herself, let, mm -hmm. let us help. So they started doing all the introductions you know, to people and things. But because I was closed off to, you know, the whole process and it was so pressurised and you had to make a decision within two meetings and 
the old way, not the new way, not the present way, but the old way. And it just did not work for me because I, I literally was 20, 30 years ahead of, you know, what's going on now. And yeah, that caused a lot of conflict with regards to um, my parents, the society I was with, the expectations of what I wasn't fulfilling because I was getting to a certain age and I was not settling down. And within our culture, if you're over a certain age, then that's it. You're a spinster. You're never going to get married. You're never going to have children. So, you know, I was basically being labelled all of those things by society, even though mm -hmm. I was young. <laughs> and um, it just got to a point in my life which kind of coincidentally, well, that it was actually coincidentally before I started my own business, but I left home. I literally packed my bags one day, left a note and the house keys, and I walked out on my family. And for two years, they didn't know where I lived. I would send them letters just to let them know I was still breathing and well. But I only ever shared the positive. I never shared any of the struggles. I never shared any of the true life that I was going through. Mm -hmm. um, but I just wanted my parents to know that I was still living and breathing. Mm -hmm. Because, the, you know, because a loss of a child is enough without thinking they're lying in some pit dying somewhere, you know. So, yeah. And then that's when I rebuilt my life where I am today and um, built my business, built my home, built the network of people around me, but also healed mm -hmm. the relationships I had with every single individual person of my family to the point where today it is beyond amazing, beyond loving, beyond supportive, because we've all been through so much, you know, ourselves individually within that time as well. So we've all kind of grown and healed together. So um, that that kind of is my story up until today. That. <laughs> You're so cute. She said, that's my story up until today. I have a question for you, learning yeah, curve for me. You say British Asian, but you yeah. were born in India. Yeah. I automatically think both of your parents are from India or are they Asian? And why are you using the term British Asian? Well, Brit British because it's my nationality. Okay. And then Asian because people aren't going to see me, but they'll hear me. So uh -huh. it's just to let them know that I'm in Indian woman. Oh, so culturally, do most Indian cultures say Asian? I guess I didn't yeah. realize that. They don't. Um, yes, we do in the UK. Oh. We, we do in the UK. So when we refer to ourselves, you know, if people can't hear us, I mean, see us, then we will say Asian. And Asian in the UK means Indian, not Chinese, because Chinese are Chinese. So in the UK, Asian means Indian or, you know, from that continent. So, Very interesting. Yeah. yeah. In the US, they don't say that. That's why I'm like, British Asian, what is yeah. that? She doesn't yes. look Asian as I'm yeah. looking at her. Indian. <laughs> yes. I'm Indian from India. Sorry. Because in the no, UK. No, that's okay. Yeah, that's that is okay. In the UK. 
it's a learning curve for us. And probably someone from the UK listening will definitely be like, yeah, I know what she was talking about. From from the US wouldn't even know because they're not looking at you. But me looking exactly. at you, I'm like, I need some clarity here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm Indian. <laughs> okay, wonderful. Now, here's the thing. When you say when you graduated school, did you finish college in the UK? Or are we talking about high school? Uh, no, college. Okay. College for you, university for us, but yes. Got it. Degree Got it. level. So yeah, I finished um, in the UK because all of my studies, right from high school to university, college as you know it, is has been in the UK. Got it. Got it. Okay. So now you're right. You are definitely 10 or 30 years ahead, 10 to 20 years ahead, because your parents wanted to have an arranged marriage, correct? This is what we no. call it in the US? No. Oh. They didn't want an arranged marriage. They just wanted a marriage with an Indian. And they wanted a marriage within a certain age. Oh, okay. So more clarity for me. Please tell me the difference between how you're saying it and arranged marriage. Okay. So there's a lot of misconception and generalization regarding the word arranged. Yes. So the old... I would probably say my parents' generation, you know, time old arranged is exactly what you would be thinking. Two people meet, they, you know, say yes, and then they're married within whatever time. By the time it came to my generation, arranged basically meant that you were mutually introduced to the person, Mm -hmm. um, like a blind date, but Mm -hmm. in but it wasn't really a blind date because you kind of, you know, had families and everything else there. And um, you got, you know, to talk to the person, find out a little bit about them, find out if there was kind of any, they didn't really care about chemistry. They were more concerned with, you know, does he have a job? Can he support you? He's a man. Yes, great. Get married. So chemistry didn't exist, which is what, and one of the major things I wanted but hard to explain to parents what that word actually means when they never married for, you know, that reason. Um, so arranged in my time was just having a mutual introduction and then having the choice, but then okay. not directly having the choice. If somebody started to like you, then then you kind of, you were only given up to about two, three meetings before you had to say, yes, this is the man I want to marry. Because back in the day, the the whole dating thing was Mm -hmm. done, well, probably still is to some extent, behind parents' backs. Because within our culture, back in the day, we never used to bring our partners, boyfriends or anybody home unless they were going to be the person we were going to marry. Gotcha. Gotcha. Understand. Well, thank you for that clarity. Now, in 2021 in India, or even in the UK, because that's where you were raised. Is this something that is still being done, as you described it to me? Or are more parents phasing out of that and letting their children date and find their partner? I would say the latter, but I'm not going to generalize it because the circle of people I'm surrounded by, it's the latter. I got you. You know, and, but... I also know that there's, you know, people who don't have that. Mm. And I can't say or, you know, put them in a box and say it's due to education, lifestyle, you know, in terms of 
earnings or you know whatever but there is definitely within the UK a shift there's a definite shift where the parents of the previous generation are learning because I have a very big age gap with my elder sister and brother excuse me so their children are benefiting from what I went through in the sense of I suppose creating the pathway I call myself a pioneer when I'm joking with them but Mm -hmm. because of what I went through Mm -hmm. they're able to better understand what they can do to help their children not go through that Mm -hmm. Um, but also because I was the bridge between two generations and two cultures so my parents generation wanted to hold on to their culture really tightly um where and then I was being brought up in that culture but also in the western world where I was accepting and opening up to new ways of doing things not disrespecting my culture in any way Mm -hmm. but using both and you know the best of both my parents couldn't see that or the generation they were surrounded by couldn't see that for them it was one and that was it the other was like toxic you don't you know go there that's not our values that's not who we are kind of thing but they didn't kind of realize well actually you can live in both and you Mm -hmm. can you know live in harmony in both and respect both and learn from both and that took a long time for them to have that realization so yes the younger generation is definitely benefiting okay um, yeah from the new way Okay, very good, very good. Now, the question I have for you is, you left at, how old were you when you left? When you packed your stuff and (laughs) you don't have to reveal your age. You look great. I know most women are so scared to reveal their age. I have no shame in saying I'm 38 and I can't wait till I'm 40, which many people like you are insane. I cannot wait to turn 40. I am so happy to get older. I want my gray hair to come in a lot sooner, even though I don't have lots of hair, but I'm waiting for my gray hair. But you don't have to reveal your age. You could give us a rough estimate number. You were in your 20s? I was in my late 20s when I when you When you left? Mm. Oh, so you were a grown woman. I was. But remember, culturally women Mm -hmm. didn't have a voice or any rights so it wasn't about age Mm. and from you know since graduating to my late 20s I did do my very best with regards to trying to make things work trying to see their point of view trying to give it a go because maybe it's me my attitude my you know my stuff kind of thing and I just couldn't and um so yeah so then it went but yes so it was it doesn't age wasn't really the age wasn't the issue no yeah it was that women don't have rights and you just packed your stuff where did you go and bella where did you go i went exactly where i am today not in the home (laughs) but in the (laughs) but in the county okay Um, I moved to a place called Brighton, which is in the south of England, and um, it's a city by the sea. So I am really, really fortunate for the location where I am. 
Okay. And did you have a relationship that you didn't tell your parents or you left on your own? I left completely on my own. Didn't even know a soul when I moved here. Okay. Were you working? I was working in the management consulting job oh, at that time. Okay. So, yeah. So I had support in the sense of yes. my colleagues. But, okay. Um, yeah. But I didn't know anybody in the new place where I was living. Gotcha. And for two years, as you said, you kept communication with your parents, sending letters just to let them know that you were still breathing, but you did not tell them where you were. After yes. the two years... Is that when you finally decided to now go home and meet with them? How did this happen after two years? Well, I had qualified as a coach, so I had a lot of skills and tools and everything, you know, within me. Um, and I got a phone call because I had a friend who knew because she helped me with the transition and move. So she um, knew where I was and my mother had her telephone number from years back because we you know I'd given it to her for all reasons so she'd kept it in her diary so she must have realized and thought oh I wonder if that friend wouldn't you know know so anyway long story short my family contacted her so she contacted me and said your youngest uncle my mum's brother has passed mm -hmm. away oh. and that the family basically want to let you know <clears throat> but she also added which I later confirmed with my family that they never said, which was that if I don't go back home, then the door is completely closed forever. Which was not a nice thing for a friend to do. <laughs> but. Oh, they didn't say that. Your friend yeah. said that. Yeah. Ah, so she forced you back sooner than you wanted to. Yes. Okay, so I'll finish telling you the story and then I'll see if you, when you confronted your friend about that, how did that go? Go ahead. Well, we never, I never confronted her because I only found out earlier part of this year that she had done that. And oh. we parted ways 10 years ago oh. due to other things. So, uh, so okay, so yeah. now you're probably not even surprised, like, okay, yeah. this isn't her nature. Yeah. Okay, so continue. Go ahead. So, um, so yeah, so because of that, I went back home, but this time around, I knew I would be okay because I had a home to come back to. Whereas one of the things that the, um, Asian culture all, always held on to was where are you going to go? Mm. And then you can't really answer because you don't have anywhere to go. So they kind of had the power over you, but this time around, there was no power over me because I had even though it was really scary. I mean, it was hell scary. <laughs> and I remember the drive there and I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, but I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to see my mum, I've got to see my parents, oh my God, oh my God. Got to the door and, you know, they opened the door and stuff and it's basically half and half in the sense of the people that were there. So my parents, of course, loving, you know, hug, where are you, whatever but still very grieving because my mom was in shock that her brother's just died. And then all of a sudden a daughter who's not been around for two years appears at the door. So she's got so much to process Emotions. all at once. Yeah, yes. so much to process all at once. Um, and my elder sister, well, the whole family was there minus me. So the, the, uh, my elder sister, my parents, 
uh, uh, you know, were asking all about me, where I was, where I lived, and they took my details. Um, and then, of course, they were getting to um, go to India. So they were flying to the airport, not flying to the airport, but going to the airport. So I mm-hmm. caught them kind of like half an hour before they were due to go. And um, and then that's basically when the journey started. So I had half of my family who embraced me, which was my parents and my elder sister, and the other half of my family, which was my brother, my sister-in-law, and my middle sister, who didn't at that time on okay. that day. But okay. then over a 10-year period, we rebuilt the relationships. Okay, so you left, you met up with them a half an hour before they had to go to the airport. And did you leave then or did you go with them to the airport and then you guys had another meeting? No, no, no. I um, left the family home. Okay. The same time as they left for the airport. So I probably might have had about an hour, half an hour to an hour. I can't remember, but it wasn't a huge amount of time, which was bearable. Um, But no, when my brother was taking them to the airport, I also left at the same time. Got but it. because they now had my details and contact telephone number and my address, yeah, it was, I suppose, in their minds, okay. But, yeah. So after that encounter, mm-hmm. how much time went by before you met up with them again? God, you know, I don't remember. I think with my elder sister, because my parents were in India, I think, for quite a few months. Mm-hmm. So I probably met up with my eldest sister first. Okay. Maybe, I don't know, maybe within a month or less. I honestly don't remember the timing. That's no problem. What's the age difference between you and your sister? Like 10 years? 11. 11. But she's always been kind of understanding. Even though you did what you did, she wasn't upset with you about it. She's always been a um forgiving person so she's you know very much about not so much let bygones be bygones because of that frustration you know and everything else she carried within her but she never expressed it and especially in terms of where family is concerned she's you know always been known as the well we used to call her the um People taking advantage, I can't think of the correct word, but people taking advantage of her. But then you realize that actually that's not what she was doing. All she was doing was wanting to keep the family together. Now, your brother was not happy. And what's the age difference between you and your brother? About nine and a half years. He's two years younger than my sister. So his understanding was different, though, because you said at first he wasn't. You're right. And he is a boy. And in your culture, the men are just seem so elite and you doing what you're doing. Your brother was probably like, you are not supposed to do that. Why would you do that? That is wrong. Exactly. And he was surrounded by really close minded men, Mm. you know, where they really didn't respect women. They didn't respect women having opinions, you know, women. Which is quite shocking because my, you know, sister-in-law is more or less very similar to me in the sense that she's a strong, independent woman, but he didn't want it in his sisters. (laughs) 
Ah, uh, okay, okay. So, okay. you know, a bit of hypocrite, but yes, but th- that was a funny thing. And his daughter is me as well. So she's. <laughs> is that you think strong. that's what made him open up a bit more because of his wife and his daughter yeah. being so accepting of the situation and it made him change his I, whole outlook? I think that and also what I was put through due to some of his actions. I won't say all of his actions, but some of his actions. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely did have an impact on him because he learned that if he doesn't change his ways, then he might be actually facing that with his own daughter. Mm. Well, that's so, good. Yeah. So, yeah, it definitely, you know, was a contributing factor. Gotcha. Okay, very interesting. So now you reconnect with your family. Things mm-hmm. are well, you know, um, things are well with some of them at first. But even later on, the family has been bearing accepting what happened is pretty much just it's a past experience. It happened. Everyone's over it. Have you got married since you've done that? Not yet. Not yet, she said. Okay, not yet. And you know what? That's okay. Yeah. Have you been in relationships? Let's say of not married, course. but have you've been of in course. relationships? Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. You don't have to necessarily be married. Do you have any children? No. No. Okay. Are the doors still open for children? I guess I'm going to age you again, as you like to say. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's going to be dependent on um, the partner I'm with. Well, you know, because for me, children are very much about it being a mutual thing that we both want as opposed to me wanting it. I've never been driven by my biological clock. Got it. Got it. So for me, children are because that's the natural progression of a relationship. And that's what we both want as opposed to, oh, my God, I want to be a mother. Otherwise, I'm going to, you know, not be a woman. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm not Mm going to survive. So it's never been that driving force. So in the sense of our children still, um, I'm open. I won't say I'm close to it. I'm open. But I think I'll also see where life takes me as well. Gotcha. Is he Indian? No. Oh, okay. And have you ever dated an Indian man? No. (laughs) Ah, And how do your parents, now you're like, you know, on your own, you are out, you reestablish yourself when you left. How did the conversation go with your parents? With or your did parents? it even come up in regards to, did they say, Embella, why? Why you couldn't talk to us? Why you couldn't no. just tell us how you feel? Or was it I... just more, we're happy you're back. We're not bringing it up. Let's just move forward. <laughs> That's what my parents followed. But I have spoken to um, my sister-in-law, my, you know, the the younger generation Mm -hmm. and my sisters. Can't say I've really spoken to my brother, but he's probably heard from others, you know, relating to it. But yes, we have had had the candid um, conversation and Mm -hmm. where necessarily we've taken responsibility for, you know, whoever was in different scenarios to, you know, contributed to it, including myself. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, well, we've done that. Okay. So because that's I think it's good. important. It's part of that healing. But yes. I have to also say it wasn't something that happened instantly mm-hmm. because one of the conversations I just had this year, 
and you know I've been back with the family for over a decade so yeah but that doesn't surprise me because the conversations don't happen as quick sometimes they take time you have to kind of understand when you're ready and also when that other party is going to be ready exactly and I think it happened naturally It wasn't Mm -hmm. a, okay, we're going to schedule this in and we're going to have that conversation. And I think because it happened naturally, that it was a lot more authentic and nurturing and healing. And we were both at a point where we could see, you know, what had been at play and who had done what. Because, of course, there were outside influences outside the family as well. So I'm not just going to say it was the six people within the family that were outside in um interferences as well in, okay. in terms of culture society but also other people's opinions and um, you know which all kind of contributed to um me leaving gotcha okay understandable so now present day when you left you were a managing consultant um, within that time, you have left that industry and you are in business for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, very interesting sh- story that you sh- share. I like that you broke it up because I immediately assumed arranged marriage and you said they are definitely different from how you explained it and from what I was calling it. It's not really that anymore mm-hmm. this day presently. That's not what it is yeah. now. For most, I'm going to say Indian women for the U.S., British Asian for the U.K. Indian is fine. We still go by Indian. (laughs) Okay. Indian women. Do most people or most women feel the way you do and are scared to do, number one, what you did because of, like you said, having nowhere to go, like doing what you did was very brave. Now, granted, you had a job and you had positive people around you that were also understanding that helped you um, get to where you wanted to be. Most people, most women, I keep on saying people, but most women don't have that ability. That's, That's very much of a risk in the Indian culture. I think in any culture, because if you really think about it, Mm -hmm. a lot of the uh, European culture, a -hmm. lot of the Eastern culture, which is the, you know, the Chinese culture and stuff, it's still very um, similar to expectations of, you know, women. I would probably say it's more the Western culture, you know, that might see women to be more liberal and, you know, more free to independent and do what they want. So I think it's scary for any woman to Mm -hmm. take that step to kind of go, okay, I can do this myself. Because subconsciously, it's built into our DNA that we can't do it ourselves. We need somebody, you know, whether it's a man, whether it's another woman or, you know, same sex partner, whatever. We need somebody else to help us to make that shift or move. We need somebody by our side. And then that means life is changing. But somebody to actually go, no, I can do that and make that life change happen. Mm -hmm. I got to a point in my life, I had no choice. I wasn't going to go down the suicide road. And literally, if I had been 
allowed it all, you know, to that extent, I could have gone. But because I was always strong minded, that was never an option for me. So the only other option, and it was a blessing, as I said, I started um, my coaching degree, learning to be a certified coach. So I was in touch with the coaching community. Mm -hmm. And I was being coached myself because that was mandatory part of the uh, program. And the coach at the time helped me in the sense of giving me a way to see something different, which wasn't so harmful, you know, to me in the sense of being able to take these steps without harming and causing myself more pain. And that was such a revelation because I'd grown up with, um, no, you confront, you fight, you, you know, walk out, you basically not so much have the big drama, but you kind of, you lay your cards on the table. Mm-hmm. So my scenario of me actually leaving my family was that, that, oh my mm. God, I'm going to have to confront them and pack my bags and you know and then when they see it it's going to be this and you know I had all because I'd experienced it in the past um but then I was just talking out loud to my coach and she said why do you need to do that and I went what do you mean because for me that was just the normal process and she said well why do you need to put yourself through so much pain why don't you do it this way and I went oh I hadn't thought of that one. (laughs) It'd be less scary, but at least I wouldn't have the confrontation. What was the other way she suggested, if you don't mind sharing? Which was the way that I did it, which was literally packing my bags and leaving them a note, um, you know, so that they didn't know. Um, So it was very strategic in the way that I planned it and timed it and everything else. I see. So, and ironically, the reason why I remember the date is it was literally the day before 9-11 that I left. Oh, that's why you remember the date. Mm -hmm. So right after you left, then you heard about what happened and it was just like, now you're trying to get your life together. Were those two years hard, Bella? Very. They were? Very. Did you miss your family? Is that why? Or you've never been on your own before? What was hard? Um, I have been, I had been on my own before because working as a management consultant, you're more or less on your own anyway, in terms of traveling and doing stuff. But I had tried before the old way. And when I say the old way, it was the old way was telling my parents I'm moving out, kind of, you know, packing my bags, finding somewhere to live, moving out. I had tried that way as well. And I had ended up having, I managed it for six months. But within that six months, it was literally every night, phone calls, every weekend, you know. So it it was just never peaceful. Gotcha. Um, So hence why I left the way that I did, because I tried it the older way and I've forgotten the question you're so it's so cute so I said were those two years hard yes, those two That's years what... were hard because when I left the management consultancy which was literally 
I think nine months after I left my family up to, you know, a year later or something. Oh, I didn't so, realize that. So yeah, not yeah. only did you leave the family, now within nine months, you're leaving the job that you had yeah. already been out for 10 years, right? When yeah. you first started the car. Oh, I didn't realize they were all happening at the same time. Yeah, yeah, we're all within. And um, so it was really difficult because honestly, Again, at that time, I hadn't started my spiritual spiritual journey, but on a spiritual level, it was literally when you've been rooted somewhere, and not necessarily family, but if you've been rooted somewhere, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of support, in terms of society, because I didn't leave my family, I just I left my whole support system. Mm-hmm. Every mm-hmm. single person I was connected to you know, minus the people I was working with, but everybody I was brought up with, all of my childhood friends, every single person was gone because I couldn't risk telling them, apart from this one person, I couldn't risk telling anybody else where I was going because I, I just had this, um, well, it was an, I had an imagination. I knew it would happen because then back in those days, that would have been the you know thing that would have happened. You'd have your parents turning up at your door, knocking on the door, going, well, you know, and dragging you back home. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, so that's so, but it was that feeling of losing that support system, losing familiarity in your comfort zone, losing that nurturing kind of, you know, place. And I moved to a city, I didn't know anybody. So it wasn't as if I was moving from one comfort zone onto an- another nurturing comfort zone, you know, and it took me a long time to reestablish myself and root myself and get my bearings. And this city is very transitional. You have a lot of people who come for a short time and then they go, you know, elsewhere and move somewhere else and whatever. And trying to find a group of people who, like me, were there and, you know, and build that network of support and stuff took me a long time I had a lot mm-hmm. of transitional friends who you know I'd be friends with up to maybe two years and then all of a sudden they're gone and you're like oh god I'm alone again and then building another friendship and then they're gone and then so it was constant like that gotcha okay so how so you've been in business now I'm gonna say by yourself for 10 years plus 10, 10 years plus, plus. Now, with the business that you have, do you think the decision that you made is that what made you move even faster? What what you're doing now? If the question is confusing, do you think you making that drastic move in your life made you go into business even faster? Because if you had stayed home, do you think you would have done it? No. <laughs> No, I wouldn't have done it because for the simple fact that that job served as a purpose of escaping my family, escaping mm. the life and unhappiness that I had. So if I had started my own business, then that would have been probably working from home or establishing myself locally to them, you know, so it would have just taken away from what I wanted to create but it actually never occurred to me at that time when I was with them it never occurred to me because I was going through so much with them mm-hmm. that the point of starting something new on my own 
was just, you know, never there. I mean, yes, studying something, you know, taking up the certification, that's different because you're studying. Yes. But but doing something as a business, it didn't even occur to me at that time. Didn't cross your mind. No. So how is business now? You said you're a tarot card reader. Yeah. Is that the same when I think of it, of having um, intuitive feelings or even further than that, even deeper, I guess I should say? Well, you've kind of hit it on the nail on the head. There's two ways tarot card readers read. So okay. the first is what I call, and this is my opinion, um, just in case there's other readers listening to this. <laughs> It's that um, they're literal because we have to go through, like any education, you go through a basic, you know, of learning. So you're learning what the cards are in interpreting, you know, what each card is meant to mean. Okay. So that's what I call literal. And Mm -hmm. literal readings for any um, client is virtually that you're going to get more or less the same kind of reading. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, so whether Jane blogs or, you know, Sarah came along, if they both had the same cards, they would get similar kind of readings, you know, going, yep, your life is your finances are going to be great. You're going to do well because all the same cards are coming, Sarah. Yep, your finances are going to be wonderful, whatever. An intuitive reader, which is what I am, I read energy. So I can actually read a person without tarot cards because I'm picking up on your energy and, you know, what's going on around and tuning into your guides who, are, you know, I believe are basically guiding me. And so when I pick cards for people, mm-hmm. because I'm reading your energy, those cards are just prompts for me. They're not literal. So each card, whether it's the same card for 10 people, it's going to have a different meaning because different okay. things are going on in their lives and different things are happening. So that's what you we would call an intuitive reader. And that's basically what I do. Very interesting. That's, you know, I've had a few conversations with other people. That is a lot to tap yeah. into. One woman was telling me at times when someone walks into her, her office, she can automatically feel the energy they're giving off. Is that the same for you? I would like to say that I have a switch on off button. So and I've always had that, I think, because with me, unless I know I'm reading for a person or unless, say, I'm talking to you now and some, you know, something came through that I kind of needed to share with you. Mm -hmm. Then most of the time I'm switched off because you can't live in a place where, you know, you're constantly switched on. But going with what you were saying in terms of, you know, somebody walks in the room and the person can read their energy, we we can all do that. Mm-hmm. We all do that. You know, even without calling ourselves psychics, intuitives, readers, whatever you want to you know, label us, but we all read energy because we're able to pick up on when somebody, without verbally saying anything, is pissed off or somebody is frustrated, or somebody is upset. Or if you are buying a house or renting a place, you could see 600 of the same, you know, tick boxes, but you walk into one and you're like, whoa, this is it. I love it. Everything is perfect. And that's energy. So we all read energy, but how you want to label it is whatever sits within your comfort zone. 
You're right. We do all read energy because something as simple as you said, we probably don't realize we're doing it. And I guess a lot of, of us don't tap into that part of our mind and we block it out for whatever reason. But you are right, because a lot of times when I'm at the airport, I love people watching and people watching even from a distance, you can get someone's energy. Even on the phone, you can feel someone's energy. Even via email, which is a little harder, but even by the way someone speaks, you can, like the way they um, formulate their sentences is what I'm trying to say. You can tell like they're, this is a very happy spirited person or this is, mm-hmm. this person's very stern or something. I'm just using that as an example, but you're right. Exactly. We do read energy and yeah. don't even realize it. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, everybody has the same gifts that I do. It's just how much time you spend working on it. And I've spent over a decade, you know, working on mine and continuously Mm -hmm. keep on working on it. So kind of like, you know, anybody who's doing fitness and Mm -hmm. working on, you know, themselves and their physique and stuff, it's something that is only going to change and grow and get better with time and you know more effort that you put into it. Exactly. Exactly. Now, a few other topics you um had mentioned. How do you help people get unstuck in their business when it comes to money? Ooh. Um with regards to money, it's very much comes back to the mindset. Mm-hmm. Because one of the basics that all coaches will know about and make choose to cover or not cover is what we call stories. Mm-hmm. So we have four fundamental stories that you know we have within us. So the first will be our childhood story, mm-hmm. you know, all the pains, parents, upbringing, everything else. The second will be parental because it's the relationships, you know, we came up with. The third will be the love story. Um, and then the fourth is the money story. Okay. Each and every story covers a different dynamic, but each and every story has similar patterns because it all comes back to your self-belief, your Mm self-confidence, and when the story first started. What was the first thing that instigated? So when we're talking about money, we would be working on looking at when did your struggles start with money? When was your first memory about money? What you know, patterns are you holding on to? Mm. All very logical, all very practical, all very strategic. And then once we've established where your past sits, we're able to kind of go look at where your current is and then what you want to be doing with your future. So your current will be how can we work to let go of the past that's not serving you Mm -hmm. so that we can help to, you know, move you on to the future. Oh, I've never thought about that way, where your struggle started with money and Mm -hmm. letting go of that pattern. I guess a lot of us subconsciously don't even realize that we're probably still making that same mistake from the initial struggle that started with money. It could be maybe back in high school, you had a credit card that you didn't use right or you just were not good with money. You didn't save or, or something. Exactly. Or you saw your parents not being great with money. Or, mm. you know, one parent who 
actually was the miser because they were saving every penny while the other one was like spending the money. So, mm. you know, it, it can come from so many different places, but it's kind of pinpointing where did that story start? Because you're a program, we're all programs. You know, we keep running the same loop. It might upgrade because we become an adult. So, you know, where that program might be stuck on, I wanted to buy a doll and that doll, you know, never happened or whatever. Um, and it might now become that you want to buy a car, a dress or whatever. So it might just upgrade in terms of value. But the story and the experience that you're going through is still very similar and the same. Mm hmm. And the same applies to, you know, relationships as well. We all hold on to old patterns and it's knowing when that program started so that you can change that program. Absolutely. So before we end today, I wanted to ask you one question, and I think the same too. I think human beings are the most complicated individual or not species on the face of this earth. <laughs> and you yeah. said it here, and I didn't read that in the beginning because I wanted to intentionally save this for the end. You said life isn't complicated, we are. So elaborate more on what you mean about that. Well, that came through as a guided message because I wrote my bio has been constantly changed and perfected, but this is something I've hung on to. Mm-hmm. And it was just so true when mm -hmm. that came through and I read it because we, even as coaches, we're always working on the individual. We're always working on it's us. And but as individuals, we are always blaming our life. We are always blaming our external factors for the hardships we have, the lessons we have the you know everything that we have we shouldn't have so we're all and that's where the complication is because we think god it's so complicated if you know if i had control of it it'd be so easy but actually becoming a coach and more so becoming spiritual i've realized that when you start working on yourself when you start working on your self-worth your confidence your own belief systems and what you allow other people to treat you when you start to let go of that toxicity that's around you, you're able to actually see that actually life isn't complicated, but we are because it's how our relationship is with the world, individuals, our perception of life that creates that complication. I love it. You're right. We complicate everything in our lives more yeah. than we absolutely need to. Yes. Everything is accelerated. We make everything difficult when a lot of times we don't need to. Yeah. Um, so, Ambella, what is a word of advice you'd like to offer to women out there that are stuck in their business? Um in any aspects of their business, either fearful of taking their business to the next step, um, fearful of even starting a business, just a piece of advice you want to offer to the woman that is stuck out there. Well, I'll give two. Sure. The one is tongue in cheek. Follow me. Tongue in cheek. <laughs> yeah. Follow me. I will help you. And then the second actual advice, I would basically say to them, Take a step back. 
if you're stuck, then trying to stay in that stickiness is not going to serve you. So take a step back and breathe and allow yourself to really reassess what is keeping you stuck. Get a pen and paper. I'm really old school when it comes to these things because I think pen and paper really helps to clear the mindset. So -hmm. get a pen and paper and write down what your present problem is. What is it that you're feeling you're stuck in? And then write a column of, you know, pros and cons. I'm Again, I love my columns. So two columns, one of what are the solutions worst case scenarios that I can do to get out of this and then what are the scenarios if I choose to stay stuck in this what mm-hmm. which one is serving me more and then once you start to kind of do that brain dump you're able to get that clarity you're able to kind of start getting that solution that you're so craving but you can't because you're just focusing on the stuck rather than let me just step out so just to reiterate take a step back Get your two columns, look at what's keeping you stuck, which is the fear-based, and then look at what's the opposite of fear. What could happen if you actually took action and took steps? What you know could things lead to? And then from that, you may actually gain courage in realizing that the column where you can take actions are far more simpler than you realize they were. Awesome. I like it because all you're saying is it all starts with you. I love the first two. Take a step back and write your columns down. Just get some old school pen and paper and just write your pros and cons down, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's simple as that because you need to figure out what is keeping you stuck. And that makes absolute sense. But you know, when we're in that state in our business, our focus, I feel like is so it's like so garbled together. And you're like, Oh, I can't do this. I can't do this. We're thinking of all the things we can't do, but we don't take that step back. And just let me figure out what is making me stuck. Why am I not advancing to the next level of my business? Why am I not monetizing how I want to? I mean, so many different aspects, of course, depending on where you are. Why don't I want to start my business? Is it fear? Is it because I'm so comfortable where I am, that consistent paycheck every month? So these are all the questions you need to ask yourself, guys. What is keeping you stuck? And Bella, I appreciate you being a guest and offering us a world of knowledge. Uh, I love the advice you have on what is keeping you stuck, especially the four fundamentals when you labeled about the money struggles. First was childhood. Second was parental. Third was love. And four was money. I like that. I never thought of money in that way or even thought of where did my initial struggle started? Never even thought of that. Well, that, that's the thing. When, you, when you're a coach, we learn these things. So, you know, I've learned with time and stuff. But an average person wouldn't. There's so much. Everything I know as a coach, I didn't know before I was a coach. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I've learned because I've been studying personal development. I've been studying behavioral. I've been constantly reading blogs, writing blogs and listening to podcasts and constant daily work mm-hmm. you know to keep up with that knowledge and stuff and learning from other people I don't you know have it all myself I'm learning from people who have walked my path and are way ahead of me so th- that's the whole point of our life journey is to keep learning and 
reaching out and asking for support when we need it and not fearing being vulnerable. It's good to be vulnerable. It is. It is something that frightens me to this day. I don't like to be vulnerable. I don't like for people to feel as though I need help. It's something I struggle with every day, but I'm making baby steps to realize that it is okay to ask, you know, because you really can't do it all, surely. And regardless if that person thinks you're less of a person or smaller than what you really are by asking, then they're just not the person that needs to be in your life. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And the universe will take them out. Yep. You're absolutely right. So as we end today, listeners, I want to always thank you for listening to each and every episode when you tune in. And Bella's information will be available on the website, how to connect with her, how to sign up for any of her services. And as always, remember to love yourself, voice yourself and be yourself to the next podcast. Have a great one. Thanks for tuning in to Fumpale Podcast. If you want to continue the conversation or share your takeaways, I want to hear from you. Head on over to the website or join our Facebook community and comment your favorite part of the show or share your thoughts. I want to hear what you have to say. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Chat with you next week.